0: Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending, 8th of December, 2023. When Michael and I published our first Green Edge post on 10th of December, 2021, we thought, let's give it a month and see how it goes. We'd done some market research, of course, in the form of an online survey to test the appetite for a network of green skills practitioners. And the result was that, yes, there certainly did seem to be an appetite. So we started turning over a few stones in the green skills stream, examined what we found there and started writing about it. And almost two years to the day later, we're still here. In February 2022, Michael started his monthly reports roundup and five months after that, we start this weekly podcast. Somewhere around the same time, we start at the Green Edge Data Portal, which now resides on the Tableau Public platform, and to which we add data visualizations when we come across some data that we think might be useful to well, visualize. And since December 2021, we've published almost 120 posts together with 30 reports roundups, which contain Michael's reviews of over 820 reports. And this is the 71st episode of the weekly podcast. And it would be nice to say that we've just recorded our 1,000th subscriber, but we haven't. Not quite. Not yet, at least. Michael, are you tired yet?
1: No, no, I think we've energised. I think we've learnt so much over the past two years. We already knew quite a bit. And I think, by default, we have been surveying activity and progress bit by bit and trying to record it. And trying to do that in a positive way, because there are so many people engaging and actively doing something to make sure net zero happens, and not only just happens, but happens with a view to future development and growth and sustainability, and the opening up of new career paths for people. I think there's been some really good developments on all these fronts,
0: particularly at local level. It's something that's come across to me quite strongly is that this is not just about net zero, this is about a sustainable world, isn't it? It is. It its
1: and hence our interest in the circular economy and all the loops that occur in that circular economy thinking that make you invest in a way that really has longevity in mind, which the Welsh government has enacted as a piece of their legislation to force them to always think to the future, which I really think would be great if it could come across the border and we could have a bit of future thinking occasionally at Westminster. It all stops at Office Dyke.
0: Well, let's move on to this week's post, which is our review of some of the most significant happenings, in our view at least, of the British Green Skills Year. Positives and negatives, of course, but we try to tread a constructive path whenever we can. So, Michael, what went right this year? I think we've had a number of things that have
1: gone right. If you take the national level, I think the Skidmore review that was set up under a previous prime minister's short regime was a very positive outcome. I think Chris Skidmore pulled a lot of very active people together, went through a very extensive consultation and produced a very good report in the January, which was then published again in December as a book. And I think that pulled together the great thoughts, the pillars of how we're going to get to net zero and the missions we need to have in place to make that happen. And very well, given that the impact of that initial report and review has now created a mini-organisation and supporters in the network to try and take it forward on those 10 pillars.
0: That's the Net Zero Coalition,
1: right? Exactly right, yes.
0: And a reminder that you can find this week's post our review of the year on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your usual podcasts. Well, as we say in the post, the stage seems to be pretty well set for Net Zero, but there are still some significant parts of the script missing. And at times, Michael, I think it's fair to say we've been right frustrated with some things this year. So we need to talk about those. And I'm afraid we have to start with Westminster and Whitehall, don't we?
1: Yes, I suppose if you go to the High Court case back in July 22 that forced the government to rethink some of its net zero policies, and that resulted in the very end of March in excess of 3,000 pages worth of documents to be dumped on the green world of the UK, which was trying to show how the government was going to deliver on its net zero legally binding commitments. And I'm not sure if we came away from that better informed. There were some highlights within all those documents, if you're prepared to dig, around green skills and the progress being made by the Green Dobbs Delivery Group and the way it has steered its way through a very turbulent year in ministerial terms. They had the continuity, despite they might have had, I don't know, three or four ministers popping in and out at different stages because of the chopping and changing of leadership. But I think they are doing a good job. And I think we'll see the real fruits of that work early in 2024 with the Net Workforce Delivery Plan coming into place. And I think that'll be a really important piece of work. I think, though, if we move on to the local area, I think this is also going beneath the radar for a lot of people. There have been some very high-profile devolution moves from Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, London, and the like. But there are three tiers of devolution. You know, the top level is where you have an elected mayor overseeing a functionally economic area. And we've got a number of those across the country. Level two devolution is where you get a single institution without an elected mayor overseeing a functional economic area. And the level three devolution is where local councils seek to cooperate on key gender items. And this is slowly but surely going into place as we see amalgamations. And with each of those developments across those levels means the devolution of ability to make decisions and deploy resources and funding. It's moving quite slowly. It's slightly uneven. But if again, if you went through the autumn statement with detail, there were quite some long lists. Of further devolution activity to at least level two and in some cases level three and extending level three areas like in North Tyne in the Newcastle area. So we see that as a critical part of the infrastructure to get resources and capability into place around net zero and sustainability. So I think it's a positive move. And give Michael Gove his due. He has stuck to that despite being hampered on a number of fronts and being hampered, I think, on the size of the budgets that have been given to levelling up. He has pursued that with the four budget heads, which come to about 10 billion over five years. So positives there.
0: I have to say I'm a bit more black and white about the role of central government than you are, Michael. I think the need to get back to a sustainable planet is way too big of an issue to be run by politicians and central government. But you and I do have a slight difference on that. But you brought up the subject there of local empowerment, much of which admittedly is still in the hands of politicians, but we would hope they're in a position to have a better view down the rabbit hole. Let's move on and talk about specifically local things. Let's talk about LSIPs and LSIFs and LEAP and lips and other things, beginning with L, shall we?
1: Yes. Well, the LSIPs, which are the local skills improvement plans, were all delivered in May of this year. And a number of very brave people have sought to try and bring them together, some using artificial intelligence at the demand for education, and others beavering to create dashboards to allow them to have informed decisions about priority skill areas, I think they've been good because they've created common data sets, common understanding and coalitions at local level of colleges, politicians and employers to try and drive the labour market in a more efficient way and to make it more responsive to what's actually going on. The LSIFs are the Local Skills Improvement Funds, which are backing the outcome of the skills plans themselves. And within all of that, we also have Local Area Energy Plans, which are detailed plans, usually with five-year time horizons, that are looking at the specific investment decisions around key technologies to allow that area to move to net zero. Now, behind every deployment of a particular technology, there lies a pair of hands and a skilled pair of hands at that. And so this helps drive further data into people to understand the nature of the demand about the number of EVs that will be bought in the local area, the number of charging points have to be put in, the nature of the whole insulation of the housing stock and the installation of heat pumps, etc, etc, etc. So we're seeing those going into place. And there's some great examples. One of our favourites was in Manchester that went down to real detail and would have really aided the thinking around local skills development. And again, local knowledge, local pairs of hands with a real vested interest to make things happen for local voters as well.
0: And the other L that I said at the beginning there was LEPs. But of course, that's changing next year, isn't it?
1: LEPs were given their marching orders during the year and we are finding that the expertise of LEPs in many cases is being protected and transferred to other areas and people are finding the vehicle of a LEP will continue but it might not have the LEP name.
0: A lot of them might be morphing instead of disappearing. Now something else we've given a lot of attention to this year is Green Skills Frameworks and that's something else we mentioned in this week's post. And on the subject of skills classifications in general, it seems like the Department for Education is slowly coming around to getting one sorted out.
1: If you go back in our history, back in 2015, with the help of Gatsby, we convened a meeting in their offices with various government departments with the rather silly notion, perhaps, that England should have, or UK, should have its own ONET, an occupational information system. And people thought, oh, this is a good idea. And now we are hitting 2024 and there's a good chance we might actually get to one, which will allow us to have a very disaggregated and detailed data set to allow us to understand skills, skills progression, activities and tasks and competences, and a common language. It will revolutionize, I think, our understanding of occupations and how occupations grow and develop and change. Our current SOC system doesn't allow us to do that in enough disaggregated way. We labour under the idea that there are only 360 occupations in the economy, most modern occupations listings would give you at least a thousand for an economy the scale of the UK, like you find broadly in the United States or in Germany, and then allowing you to understand how those occupations evolve and change, which allows you then to get into education and training
0: issues. The UK SOC, it was never set up to be a skills database, it was set up for data gathering around salaries and other things.
1: You're right, and also if we walk across the water into Europe there's the ESCO system as well with its competency database developed from National occupational standards i think we now have a good position on occupational standards courtesy of ifate the apprenticeship overseeing body and if we could move some of their data more into more an analytical situation that would be a great move forward
0: as well yeah indeed i've had hours of fun down in the ESCO weeds, as well as the ONET weeds, actually Right, Michael, the final question is, what are the big things we're looking for in 2024?
1: I think the biggest thing that will shape most people's perceptions and actions during 2024 and skills will be the Green Jobs Delivery Group workforce plan. I think that'll be a fundamental document. I think it will guide thinking way beyond its initial boundaries, remembering that they've done a series of sector pieces of work around the circular economy, around power and energy and distribution, around nature and the like. There are a whole series that will be be bolted together and it'll be the first time we'll start to see critical occupations that are common across all of these areas. And one of those will be the electrician and how we intend to deploy, train and attract those groups of people. And certainly the announcements this week on the nature of migration into this country and gaining work permits might impact some of that thinking. And luckily, that can be factored in because I think the changes announced yesterday will only come into force in April of 2024 so they can be factored into that thinking
0: okay thank you michael it's been a busy 2023 and more of the same no doubt in 2024 which brings us on to next week and what will be our final post of the year before we take a break for christmas and in it we'll be looking forward in particular to our green edge priorities for the year ahead who we're working with and what we'll be doing join us next week and we'll tell you more Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.